0: Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. So many of you here. Glad you're back with us. All right, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We're going to focus on two verses today, verses 26 and 27. And Jesus again is going to go back and teach us about the Holy Spirit as he teaches the apostles uh, about the coming Holy Spirit and for us, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and what the Holy Spirit does, uh, critically important subject. So if you open your Bible, John 15, verse 26, when the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning." amazing two verses, as Jesus tells us that God wants us to become co-workers with God in advancing the gospel. Uh, Effectively, we are compelled, compelled to testify about Jesus. You will have to, at some point when you go to heaven, you'll have to speak to Jesus. And one of the things he's going to ask you is this very issue. How did you advance the gospel? Now, this doesn't mean that you have to go to Africa or go to India or become a preacher, but what did you do in your family? What did you do amongst your friends? How did you talk about Jesus? Um, And frankly, this is a teaching that uh, is missing in a lot of the pulpits in the churches in America. Uh, and, And that's very sad because you see very clearly here that Jesus is absolutely insistent on the fact that this is our responsibility. And how glorious is it that the God of the universe, the God of the universe wants you to be his partner in this enterprise. Isn't that amazing? I mean, with with all the creation and the angelic realm, all of these created beings that he could have uh, deemed uh, responsible to advance the gospel, and yet he takes lowly us, you, as we become... Uh, one with him. And so you see this. And if you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Oh, wow. Not to receive God's grace in vain. Not to sit there after God has had mercy on you and given grace to you and you've come to salvation. Not to take all of that in vain, meaning what? That you have not done what he wants you to do. Uh, And so this is all about understanding the role of the Holy Spirit as it relates to you, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit as it relates to people who you will speak to. So in these verses, Jesus uh, is instructing the disciples about the role of the Holy Spirit. And here's the point. Not only will the Holy Spirit instruct us, Uh, about Jesus, it will compel us effectively to testify about the Lord. Um, And these verses indicate that we must testify. It's not a choice. It is must. So under the inspiration um, and teaching of the Holy Spirit, God will use us to exalt Christ and draw men and women to him. Now, let me assure you of one thing. Some of you are saying right now, oh, I'm not articulate. I'm not well educated. I haven't I don't have a theology degree. None of that matters because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in your heart will give you the very words to say. And when you say it to a person who is being prepared by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will, re- will prepare the recipient. And so it's not the, the, necess- the necessity of your eloquence or your rhetoric Or you're intelligent. I've been in some sermons where these incredibly gifted, intelligent guys have given the most elevated sermons, and they've fallen flat as a rock, flat as a rock. And yet I've heard some very simple people get up and in three or four minutes give some testimony, and a church is rocked because of the the Holy Spirit and relying on it. And so you see, we have to understand the role of this. And so our witness is necessary, but it is powerless powerless without the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural activity that only God can do as he prepares the heart of the recipient. So only God can illuminate the heart of the unregenerate uh, person. Only God. Uh, And so you have to understand that. That you may speak to somebody, and somebody will. some people will immediately take it. Other people will reflect on it, might not take it right away, but will reflect on it, and God's Holy Spirit will, will continue to work. And other people will go like this, I don't want to hear anything about this. I don't want, to, I don't want you to talk to me about this. It was like um, a Jewish lawyer that I knew, very, very orthodox. Uh, and he came to my office one day, and... Uh, I gave him the Bible. And I said, uh, take a look at Isaiah 53. what, What do you make of Isaiah 53? He knew right away. He goes, oh, no. I don't read anything that can undermine my faith. Okay? It's your Bible. You understand? I'm not reading anything that can undermine my faith. So there's a question that shows you how the Holy Spirit works. If somebody says, I don't want it. I'm not interested. I'm turned off. Well, that's how it is. Now, obviously, God had closed the door at that particular time uh, to spread the gospel. I tried, but it's not me. I'm not advancing the gospel. You're not advancing the gospel. We are merely messengers. So we need to understand that. So how does, how does the Holy Spirit bear the witness of God? How does he do that? Well, there are two answers. One is the Spirit's work in writing the Bible. This Bible, these words from God, was written entirely by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, John, I've heard you say that it was written by 40 different men uh, over 1,500 years on three different continents. Yes, that's true, but let's understand something. While it was the hand of man who held the quill, it was the Holy Spirit of God who moved their hands. It's that simple. Okay? It's that simple. It was the very Spirit of God in their minds, using their hands with their own experience uh, and their own cultural dimension, and yet writing the Word of God. And that is why with 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis to Exodus, there is one dominant theme in every book throughout. Jesus Christ, crucified, Son of God, resurrected, this cannot be done any other way other than the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so you have to understand this. Uh, that's, this book was given to us by God through the Holy Spirit. This what separates this book from every other book uh, in mankind's history. There is no other book like this. And, the re- and, and you can understand this yourself as you read it and study it, because I submit to you that as you get deeper in the book, it's like layering onions. You, you come to another layer, you come down and you drill down and you will say, I never understood that. I'll never understand. I never saw that before. Often my wife and I are talking about these things and I'll write a lesson and she'll say to me, I never heard that in church before. And I don't know if we didn't hear it in church or we weren't paying attention and quite possibly both, you know, I mean, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm just as guilty, but clearly much of what I'm giving to you And and reflecting on much of this, even to me, even to me, God is revealing it to me in a new way uh, that I haven't seen before. I want to confess that to you. I don't want you to think here that that a lot of this is to me is old hat. None of it is old hat. None of this is old hat. Every week that I read this and, and study it and pray about it is God giving me greater insights into his word. And it is humbling, unbelievably humbling. So here it is. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, gave us the Bible, uh, and then the other way the Holy Spirit serves as a witness is that the Spirit works in bringing the Bible truths home to the experience of individual Christians. Meaning what? It means that as you read the Bible and study the Bible, you reflect on it, and that experience becomes inculcated into your life, and now you speak about it based through your own experience through your own gifts, you speak about it. And as you speak to people who God wants you to speak to, God is preparing those people through the Holy Spirit to receive his word. Now, uh, this is important. Now, and, and understand this that the Holy Spirit reveals both the past and the future. Uh, he will tell you what is to come. Look at John 16, if you would. John 16. Verse 13, but when he, the Spirit, and this is Jesus speaking, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. What a powerful verse that is. Here it is, the Holy Spirit effectively being the messenger of God, the creator of the universe, speaking to you. The divine truths so that you can understand it, and not only giving you the truth of what now is, but what you need to know about what is to come. What is to come. Uh, And we don't have to know everything about what is to come, but as it relates to us that what God wants us to know, it is the Holy Spirit that will give it to us. And so the other role of the Holy Spirit is that he refreshed our minds as to what Jesus has said in the past. That's what he did with the disciples. Do you think, I mean, honestly, I want you to reflect on this. These are relatively uneducated men spending three years with God himself, walking around. I mean, they didn't have tape recorders, all right? They weren't tape recorders. How is it, did you ever wonder, how is it that they can remember every single word and inference and inflection Here's the gospel of John written most likely about 40 to 45 years after Jesus died on the cross. And yet when you read this, it's as if you are there listening to a tape recorder. How do you think that happened? It's because the Holy Spirit, through through the divine power of God, gave the very words back in remembrance to John. How does that happen? I don't know. I'm only a man. But all I can tell you is it's very clear. That that's what the Holy Spirit does. It gave them the very remembrance of the words that Jesus said. That is why when you read it here, you can take every word that's in this book to the bank. Every word that's in this book to the bank. You can put your life predicated on this, that this book is special in every, special, in every possible way. Turn also to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's a misprint in the notes. It says, uh, verse 26, it's actually 16. But turn to that if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture is God-breathed. Can't say it any other way. All right? This is Paul talking. That's that's what you're seeing. It's the very words coming out of the mouth of God through the Holy Spirit. This is humbling when you think that the creator of the universe loves us so much that he would give us this book, that we would see his insights, his thinking, uh, and and that we would be a part of this. Oh, God. And then he would ask us to be his co workers. He would ask us to be his co workers. Who are we? that God would deign, he would deign to make us his co-workers. Every day of our lives, we just have to say, Lord Jesus, I'm not worthy. Lord, thank you for allowing me to salvation. I mean, what, what an amazing God we have. Um, and so the point of this is that all of this is inspired through the Holy Spirit. God has given you the Holy Spirit to be the discerner of the divine truths. What does that mean for you today? It means this, that when you're watching television and you see somebody who purports to be a Christian televangelist or a minister, and you hear this guy go on and speak, and he'll talk about the fact that you need to send him $10, and he'll send back a prayer cloth for you, and you can put it on your windshield, all right? And all of a sudden, you're getting this in your heart. In your heart, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and here's what you hear. No, no, it's not right. It's not right. I know this is what's going on. I guarantee you this is going on because you're a child of God, all right? And you hear theology that's false. You hear this theology that says God wants every one of us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. God wants you to be rich. Where are you reading that in the Bible, by the way? Where in the Bible do I see God wants every one of us to be rich? My Bible doesn't tell me this, all right? And instead, we fall victim to these kind of false theology. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, if you give it sway in your heart, he will stop that kind of stuff. I told you the, the fact that years ago, when I started to teach, I got an entire course on the New Testament taught by the professor uh, of religion out of the University of North Carolina, the director of the School of Religion of uh, the University of North Carolina, Bart Ehrman. And as I'm listening to these lessons, my heart is going, This is not, there's something wrong. It's not right. I'm not getting, I'm not getting it. Yeah, the words are accurate, the historical words are accurate, but there's something that's not right in this. Well, uh, years later, My son called me one day to say, hey, Dad, do you know that Bart Ehrman has become an apostate and uh, believes that Jesus is not the Son of God? There it is, the director of religion at the University of North Carolina. So what does it mean? It means we package up our kids, we send them away to school. Pray for them. Pray for them because you're sending them into places, literally, I don't care where they're going. Oh, they're going to study religion. Yeah, they're going to study religion. Pray for them more. Pray for them more because there's evil all over the place, and it's encamped in the most incredible places, including the schools of religion, I'm sorry to say, including the schools of religion. And so you see this. It's only the Holy Spirit that stands as a divide in our hearts between evil and the divine that gives us insight into what we need to see. And so we understand this. And so the Bible is in a category all its own. No other book like it. No other book like it. And so, there's a second way in which the Holy Spirit bears witness to the Lord Jesus. Uh, And he continues to bear witness by bringing the Bible truths to carry the truths to humanity. God expects the world to, to understand, Christians to understand the Bible, and the only way that that happens is through the Holy Spirit. This was fundamental during the Protestant Reformation. And I want to speak about the Protestant Reformation because it's appropriate now as we talk about the Holy Spirit. Some of you may say, well, was was the Holy Spirit around during, you know, the the entire uh, 1,500 years of the Roman church uh, up until the Reformers? Yes, it was. But let's understand something. The Holy Spirit may be evident, but that doesn't mean that people are giving sway to it, that that they're being empowered by it. It doesn't mean that. And so let's understand something. That come around the year 1500 or so, Martin Luther and John Calvin got sick and disgusted and tired of the errors that were coming out of the Roman church. Now, let me start and say something very clearly right now. This is not, I am not going to pull down the Roman church because I'm going to pull down all churches, all churches, all right? Because here's the point. The Roman church deviated from the Bible. It set up a a system of rules and regulations and administrations that at some point in time was far outside the Bible. And finally, in in the early 1500s, what had happened? The Roman church began to sell indulgences. And indulgences were effectively this. If you had a member of your family that died, and you were told that they were in purgatory, for X number of years, the church had set up the sale of these certificates, these indulgences that would allow you to buy them and bail out, effectively, your family member. more you paid, the quicker they got out. And, and, and effectively, as it got worse, they would actually have traveling salesmen who would go from village to village uh, peddling these Uh, and so you see, understand, Luther saw this, and he was appalled. He was appalled by this. He was appalled by the errors that he saw in the church. It was that none of this was found in the Bible. None of this was found in Scripture, and so as a result of that, uh, uh, Luther uh, pulled out of the church, even though he wanted to stay in the church. He wanted to reform the church, but the church would hear nothing of it, Uh, and Calvin also separated himself, and these men started the reform movement, uh, the Protestant movement. I want to say something about the Roman church. First of all, we as evangelical uh, Protestants owe the Roman church a debt of gratitude in this. For 1,000 years across the dark years of the history of the world, the Roman church was alone in carrying the cross of Christ. There was no reform movement. There was no Reformation. They were there effectively alone for a thousand years. They carried the cross of Christ. Now, don't think there today that the so called evangelical movement is without its flaws. The same things that permeated the Roman church could very easily permeate the evangelical church. And I see it today with some of the regulations and administration that I see in some of these churches, where some of the false theology that I just gave you, health, wealth, and prosperity, uh, come out of the churches. None of this is in Scripture. You think that's going to be blessed by God? Just as you saw what took place before. And so you understand it. We do not get saved by the church. It is not the church rules and administration that saves us. I don't care how many times you've been baptized or how many ways you've been baptized or if, when you were last baptized, you stayed underwater for an hour. (laughs) You're not saved by your baptism. You're not saved by your membership in a church. You are saved solely by the blood of Jesus Christ. Solely. Make no mistake about it. And so often now, we hear from pulpits this entirely different kind of gospel. That's not related to the gospel that's been written. What we see now, we, we get opinions from men they get up there and, they'll, they'll, you know, you don't even hear a Bible citation. Six ways to this. Four ways to this. Be a better person. Be a better coach. You know, be a better husband. Let me tell you something. You want to be a better husband? It's in here. Read it. Study it. That's how you become a better husband or a better wife, really. Uh, and and this, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And so, We have to understand this. It's not not the rules and regulations of the church that that is saving us. It is solely through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so out of this, out of this history that I've just given you, and out of understanding the Holy Spirit's working, it was the Holy Spirit that touched Calvin, the Holy Spirit that touched Luther, who finally saw this is wrong. We can't continue like this. We have to make changes, even if it means I'll lose my life. I'll be outside the bounds of everything that I grew up at. Uh, And you know that Luther was a priest. He was a priest, yet he could not countenance what he saw. And so that's where the phrase sola scriptura was devised. He raised that. The Latin phrase sola scriptura. What does it mean? It means that the sufficiency of Scripture is the supreme authority in all matters of our spiritual life. Sola Scriptura. Nothing else. Nothing else. Uh, and everything that God requires of us is already given to us in Scripture. Whatever God requires of us, whatever it is, he's already given to us in Scripture. Look at Second Peter, please. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything, everything you need in, in life for your spiritual life has come out of the scriptures through Jesus Christ. You don't need anything else. You don't need any other rules and regulations. It's all complete. And let me add something further. God will not allow us to add or detract from anything that is in Scripture. And so if you are hearing somebody preach to you in a way that they're adding to something that's in the Scripture, adding a different uh, regulation or a different biblical truth that's not there, that's violating the will of God, violating the will of God. And how do I know this? Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Is that good enough for you? are you sufficiently warned? We're talking about something serious. You add to what's in this book, you're on thin ice. It goes further. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Let me tell you something, folks. Be very wary of people that are changing the Bible. Be very wary of people that are not preaching out of the Bible. Be very wary of if you're hearing gospel truths in a way that you haven't heard gospel truths before or with a different take, be very wary because that's exactly what Satan does. He'd like nothing better than for you to say, well, you know, it's not really what it says. I mean, can't we all just get along, you know? That's why we got a thousand ways to, to God instead of only through Jesus Christ. This is what happens. This is how evil gets, gets, takes place. And so God does not intend us to rely on anything that is not here uh, in this book. This is, this is the sole source of our reliance. Turn also, if you would, to Matthew 23. Jesus is speaking to us. Verse. Actually, let's look at verse 1, verse 4 verses here. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Let's understand what he's saying there to them. You're looking at the religious elite. They're sitting there in the seat of Moses. They have a responsibility. They are giving you the so-called word of God, verse uh Three. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They tie up heavy loads meaning we put responsibilities on people we set up rules and regulations ladies and gentlemen this is the cornerstone of legalism how many times have you heard me rail about legalism do we well, have to do this and do that and do this and you cannot do this that or this i told you i grew up unfortunately uh, in a church in which i was i had to suffer a lot about legalism i couldn't go to movies all right i couldn't go to dances Uh, You know, the, the, the list was unending. As if any of that, any of that defines us as a Christian. Any of that defines us as a Christian. Instead, what do we do? We drive people out of church. Who would want to worship with you? I submit. If that's the kind of life that you think that Jesus wants you to have. Jesus doesn't care whether you're dancing or not. Really, folks. Jesus cares about your heart. What's in your heart? Are you serving him? Are you loving him? Really? Honestly. And I love it now because now as we get older, you know, you get older, we get a little more sophisticated. I love First Baptist Church because here now we have the Christmas spectacular. It's no longer called dancing. It's called choreography. Oh, I never realized it. It's so elegant. It's a good thing. I didn't realize that. Look, folks, you understand? Let God deliver us from these things. Please let God deliver us of these things. You have somebody that you're bringing to Jesus. The first thing you should not do is start giving him a a list of rules and regulations. oh, you can't do that. Ooh, you can't do this. Oh, you can't do that. Preach the Bible in Christ crucified. Let the Holy Spirit convict them. Under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to tell people what to do. They will know inherently what is within God's will. I'm telling you, we have elevated ourselves as if we are higher than God. Oh, yeah, I have to do that. I have to do that. I have to advance it. And here's Jesus telling him flat out, flat out, don't put these burdens, extra burdens on these people. Don't do that. That's what the Jews did with the Sabbath. It got ridiculous, the rules that they were doing. And now you go to New York City, and you'll see wires all over New York City. Wires, wires, block if... Whoa, whoa, what? I don't understand it. It's not, a tele- well, it's not a telephone line. What is it? Well, it's the Orthodox community that strings wires up so that it fulfills the rules of the Sabbath. This becomes your home. So you see, you can get out of your house and travel five, six blocks, You can go to the store. You can do whatever you need. It's within the fight because the wires are struck. We You think this is consistent with God's will? We make a joke out of God. Honestly, we make a joke out of God. And and so this is what, what Jesus was saying. And so here is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit convicting Luther, convicting Calvin about the errors of the church at that time, even though the church was 1,500 years old. 1,500 years old. And so the, some of the, the Latin phrases that came out of the Reformation are so critical. Of course, we have sola scriptura. scriptura. Uh, we, we also have uh, sola fide, F-I-D-A, uh, which means saved only by faith in Jesus Christ. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by being a good person. You're not saved... By by the money that you give, you are saved totally by uh, the blood of Jesus Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter two, just so that you have that verse at hand if that ever comes up. Verse eight: For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves; it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by works so that no one can boast, all right? Sola fide, then sola gratia. Sola gratia, which says, saved by the grace of God alone. It was because God, in his mercy, saw you. And in his mercy, he poured out his grace so that you could become saved and listen uh, to the divine salvation message. Uh, Then sola Christus, Jesus alone is our Lord, our Savior and King. Turn to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Put it on your refrigerator. There's no other name. There's only one way. I don't care about the philosophies of man. I don't care about the fact that you're a good person. I don't care about the fact that you're a good father. I don't care about the fact that you've named some center uh, because of your your largesse. None of it matters when it comes to Jesus Christ. The question is, we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. One name, one alone, always. And so this, this is important for us to understand this and get this message. And all of this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These, these lessons that I'm giving you come out of the Reformation movement. Here's a guy, Luther and Calvin, who are uh, coming out of the old tradition, coming out of the Roman church, and yet they see the errors and the abuses. And so what they do is, under the inspirations of the Holy Spirit, uh, they enunciate what we call here now, uh, our way of thinking, a truer look at the theology of Jesus Christ. And we are not immune today. Let me say that. Don't think that we are immune. We are the select. We have the whole truth. Yes, we have the truth. But we can fall away from the truth. All right? We can fall away from the truth. Are we being consistent with the Bible? Are we, are we being right tied to what God is teaching us with the Bible? or if we allowed doctrines and theologies to come in and rules and regulations that come in that are not consistent with the scripture. And that's something for each one of us uh, to understand. The reformers called it the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And Paul wrote at length about this. And here's the thing of what the Holy Spirit does. It gives you comprehension of God's word. And how can I say this? Here's the the most basic element of understanding how the Holy Spirit works. The unregenerate person, the person who, who will not abide by Scripture, who is not interested in Scripture, often is an arrogant, proud, intelligent person. You see some of the great works on atheism written by Richard Dawson and some of those people of that ilk. Brilliant people who will absolutely have no interest whatsoever in scripture, will have no interest whatsoever in hearing from the word of God, find it all foolishness. And what is it about our theology that they find foolish? I'll give it to you in one word, the cross. You want to understand why they find it foolish? They cannot understand the cross. They cannot understand it. Why your God would climb up on the cross and allow himself to be sacrificed for humanity in the most despicable way. It's foolishness. It makes no sense. And that is because they have not submitted to the Holy spirit. It is because when we, when we face with that under the mercy and grace of God, who gives us the Holy Spirit, who touches our heart, and suddenly our heart is open, and we see the cross, and we know instantaneously it is the gift of the universal creator for one and all, and we understand it. We don't need any other explanation. No other explanation is necessary. We see the mercy and grace and love of God, and so that's it. That's what happens. That's how (coughs) an unregenerate world lives. And so, understand this: that's how the Holy Spirit works. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so, uh, the 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 Holy Spirit works in a in a very discreet, finite way. Uh, The first thing it brings is conviction. You are convicted. Uh, but, but not only are you convicted, you have comprehension. Through the Holy Spirit, you understand, you hear the word of God, and you begin to understand it. However, even if you have comprehension, and we begin to understand the nature of our sin, uh, we still need to be convicted, and we still need to repent. Repent. And that's another thing we don't hear from a lot of pulpits. Conviction and repentance. God, forgive me. God, wash me. God, accept me. God, help me not to do this again. Help me not to lead this kind of life. Take these thoughts away from me, Father. Take these these temptations away from me, Lord. Lift me up. Help me, God. I can't do it but with you. That's the prayer that we have to make. That's the prayer. And that's made with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit directing us and leading us uh, and convicting us. We live in an evil world. In my 8 o'clock class this morning, a woman came up to me and said that she had a family member that was in a Christian school. And in the Christian school, they had been told, they had been taught that if babies die, this is hard to believe, If babies die and the parents are not Christians, then the babies do not go to heaven. That's a Christian school. That's a Christian school. All right? Yeah. Brenda said, no, it's not. You're right, Brenda. We can have the name. We can have the name of Christian. But are we articulating what's in the Bible? As I said from the beginning, I'm not interested in any opinion other than what's in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that relates to that. There's no issue in the Bible. Everything that you see in the Bible is about the love of God, the dispensing, overwhelming love of God, that he would bankrupt heaven to send Jesus Christ for us. And he is not going to allow a young baby, a little baby, to come back into his kingdom. Where do we get this stuff? And that's what we're surrounded by, ladies and gentlemen. We live in a world of evil. All right? Somebody said to me the other day, again, How could God, how could your God allow the Hurricane Irma? God didn't produce Hurricane Irma. Read Romans chapter 8. The creation has fallen. The creation has fallen. When when sin entered into the Garden of Eden, the creation itself succumbed to evil. And Romans 8 says the creation groans. It groans for salvation, for the return of Jesus Christ. Look, folks. These are evil times. Evil takes place. That's why we have to pray that God be be with us and lift us up and protect us and that you have the Holy Spirit inside you, inspiring you, teaching you, guiding you, lifting you up, and so that you can take these words that we heard and give them as messages to a lost world. He expects you to do it. He expects you to do it. And someday you'll have to explain to him how you did it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that we've heard today. Lord, I ask you that you give our people courage to do what what you want us to do, to reach out to a fallen world, to speak your words, Lord. Bless us. Let this message grow this week. Bless our people and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.